Flip back um, to 127. He calls the Philippians to live a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or We talked about that then, that it literally says, live as citizens worthy of the gospel. And so what he did through that verse, and he's setting up the rest of the chapter up through 320, as he's talking about what does it mean to be a citizen worthy of the gospel. And we talked about citizenship, that we are citizens of the United States, but we are also citizens of heaven. And we'll get to that in two weeks. And that these men, this isn't just some random paragraph, this is love with skin on it. He talked about Jesus being the humble, obedient example. Then last week he charged us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that these two men and Paul himself are engaged in a joyful gospel partnership. They're living for something bigger than themselves. They want to see Jesus proclaimed in all the earth. And that they themselves are immovable. They're interdependent. They, they depend on one another. They're not intimidated, uh, either through sickness or, or opposition. And they're humble and they're obedient. And so if the Lord is the Christian's model, then these men are model Christians. And so first we want to see Timothy. You notice in verse 1 of the entire book, it says Paul and Timothy. Paul chose Timothy to be, he's not necessarily a co-author, but he chose to, to raise his name up there at the beginning of the book because the people of Philippi knew who Timothy was. And Paul says here in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send, to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be by cheered by news of you. And this is what he says of him. I have no one like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, I have no one like him. He is a kindred spirit, as one uh, translation says. He's one of like mind with me. And this is Timothy wanted to be with Paul. Paul found him in Acts 16. He asked him to come with him. And Timothy then went with Paul through all his, not all of them, but most of his journeys. And Timothy wanted to be where he was, and he wanted to be with the Philippians. It was a want to, not an ought to. It was not this, oh, I ha- oh do I have to serve? It was, I want to serve. And so he has, as Paul would call him here in verse 20, I have no one like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. That he has genuine interest in what's going on in, in the people of Philippi. That he had this mentality like Paul, that he loved the Philippians and wanted to be with them. And Paul said, there are others, and we don't know who the others are, but they don't seek their own, they seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And you can put those two verses together, 20 and 21, you see genuine concern for others is what Jesus Christ is interested in. That now here Timothy is living out what Paul told the Philippians to do in chapter 2 at the beginning of this chapter. Consider others more important than yourself. And that's what Timothy's doing here. That Jesus considered us more important than himself. That he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, so that we might live with him forever. So Timothy is doing nothing than being more uh, like Jesus and, and like-minded with Paul. And he, he says here, but you know Timothy's proven worth, verse 22. We don't know exactly what those details are, but the Philippians did. You know of his proven worth. He proved himself worthy. Live as citizens worthy, Paul said in 127. And here's a man, a model citizen, who has proved himself worthy. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And Paul is picking up 
on a key phrase that he has served with me in the gospel that you can see in verses 7 and 8 of this chapter. He's saying Timothy is just like Jesus. In verse 7 it said uh, of, of Christ, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself become, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That Timothy served in the gospel, so did Paul who served in the gospel, and all they're doing is emulating Jesus Christ who served us. I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And so Timothy loved God by loving his neighbor. He put Jesus first, others and himself last, so that the gospel could be proclaimed and practiced by the Philippians. Timothy, which means honored of God, had a special relationship with Paul. As a son with a father. As a son with a father. I have a special relationship with Luke and Lawson. As a son and as a father. I'm their father. These are my sons. And Timothy was not uh, Paul's physical son. Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. Paul was never married. And so we know that this, this sonship of Timothy and Paul was a spiritual sonship. And I would, I would say to the men who have physical sons, uh, you should show genuine interest and proven worth in them and, and the rest of your family. But I would also challenge us who don't have sons, that we need spiritual sons. So the question to you men, who are your spiritual sons? Who are you training in the next generation in the gospel? That for the longest time before Luke and Lawson came before me, there was a gentleman named Mark Henley. There was a gentleman named Joe Pitlesky. There's a gentleman named Jason Adamson and Bill Lane. Men you'll never know, but they were my spiritual sons. These were men that I had either uh, helped them along in their faith and just moved them on um, in understanding of Jesus. That I loved them like I loved the son. I would do anything for them. They could call me at any time of the night and I would be there. Before I was even... Uh, a true father to my sons, there were men in my life that I were pouring into. And the same way with you ladies, you, uh, who are your spiritual daughters? Who are you pouring into? Uh, that Eric and Lori have two physical daughters. One of them, we know, is in a, is, has got a whole bunch of little spiritual daughters underneath her, leading Bible studies, that, that she's pouring into uh, these other little girls. And leading them on into the in the faith, whether she's brought them uh, by God's grace, shared the gospel with them, and they came to know Him, or she's helping them develop their faith. The question is, who are our spiritual sons and daughters? Our primary um, family should should be our physical family. Amen. But outside of that, it's not. Once I take care of my family, I'm done. That that's self-centered on your own family. That's being selfish with your family. As Tim Keller said in The Reason for God, if you love your family so much, you forget to love other families. So don't, don't neglect your own physical family, but it doesn't stop there. We're called to be spiritual fathers and mothers to spiritual sons and daughters. Then Paul went on to say, in verse 25, there was another gentleman, Epaphroditus. It's a cool name. It means handsome. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he's been longing for you, 
And so if Timothy was like-minded, here Epaphroditus is longing to be with the Philippians. He was, he was literally, it goes on to say, and he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. What had happened, if you flip over to 4.18, it says that I, Paul, have received full payment and more, and I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. And so along the way, Epaphroditus is carrying this gift that the Philippians were giving to Paul. He was the, the carrier, and along the way he had become sick, almost unto death. And when he gets there, probably with a snotty nose, <coughs> And he says, here's what they gave us. And Paul says, hey, they've heard that you're sick. And he's worried. He's distressed. He's, he's, he's divinely anxious. Really? They're, they're that upset? God, I need to get back to them and let them know everything's okay. He was, he was distressed because they heard he was ill. Paul had had the same feelings in 2 Corinthians 11.28. He says, apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me, and here's the same word, my anxiety or my distressed state for all the churches. That Paul was consumed so much with the gospel that he was concerned with the churches in and around uh, Jerusalem and Greece in that area. It would be like me being concerned not only and primarily with Eagle Bible Church, but with the other churches in this area, those that are preaching the good news and those that say they're a church and may not be preaching the good news, there's that pressure that you want to hear the gospel go out boldly and clearly. So that distressed aspect of Paul there in Second Corinthians and here of Epaphroditus, he heard, they heard he was ill and he wanted to get back and say, hey, everything's okay. That he was longing to let them know it's all right. And so he too, like Timothy, had a genuine concern, a genuine interest in the Philippians. And here, he also has proven worth. Verse 27, Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also, that I should not have sorrow upon sorrow, that, that Paul shouldn't be sorrowful for the one who carried uh, the, the um, monies to him, but sorrow that he would have to tell the Philippians what had happened. And so he was thankful. And he said, I'm eager to send him to you, that you may rejoice in seeing him again and be less anxious. And so the Philippians were concerned with him. Everybody here, if you see this, this is like the book of Ruth, where everybody else was so concerned with everybody else, they forget themselves. That's how you become humble. It's self-forgetfulness. The Philippians were concerned. Did Epaphroditus make it all right? Epaphroditus was concerned. Oh, they think I'm... I'm, I'm really, really sick and things have gotten better. God, did you see that? God has shown mercy on me. And so Paul says to them in 29, receive him in the Lord with all joy. There's that word again. It's almost in every paragraph we've been teaching. Joy, joy, rejoice, joy. And he says to the Philippians, honor such men. Men like Timothy, men like Epaphroditus, look upon them it's not hero worship. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it's holy emulation. These men are setting the standards. They're serving as examples to you. Receive them and honor them. He said, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And what the idea is, the Philippians had the money. They wanted to support Paul. But they couldn't get there. 
And so he, that was, they wanted to do it, and we'll talk about that in about a month. This wanting to give the money but couldn't do it. And so Epaphroditus said, I'll take it. I've got time. I'll get there. And so there, what was lacking was not the gift that they wanted to give, but giving it, getting it to Paul. And so Epaphroditus steps in and he says, I'll take it. And by the way, he's just a carrier. He's just a mailman. He, he's just, it's just the simple task of carrying money. It wasn't spectacular. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't charging through the Ignatian way with something going. He's just, he's just doing his job. It's the mundane things in life. That's where God exalted Epaphroditus in his humility and service was the mundane things of life. Look what it says about him. Back in 25, I have thought necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother, we'll get to that in a minute, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger and minister. He was a worker. Effort and endurance and loyalty marked his life. He was not a passenger. He's a worker. He's a soldier. He was sold out for the cause, even in the mundane things of just carrying money. He, he, was, he was not just passively getting by. Hey, we got this money for Paul. How's it going to get there? I'll take it. And he was thus the messenger and minister to, to Paul's need. He carried money, which the commentary says is a mundane task, for the glory of God. And the point is, you and I prove our worth, we prove our character, we prove our genuine concern in the mundane things of life. Life is not about the spectacular. Life is about the boring and how we show our faithfulness. We prove our worth in the small things of life. The big things that happen to us, how we minister to people at times of need and death and desperation, those are just showcases of what's going on, little by little. And so we need to step back and think about the parable of the minas in Luke 19. And I want to go there now for a few minutes and just look at who was faithful and who wasn't. Luke 19, 11 through 27. These servants were given money to be stewarded until the master returned. Two of them did well. One of them did not. So this, Luke picks it up in verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately and he said therefore it's not going to appear immediately and i'll tell you this parable what you should be doing until i come again a nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return calling ten of his servants he gave them ten minas and said to them engage in the business until i come but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying we do not want this man to reign over us and so what you had there is the orders were given, and then you, you're you going to find out some lived it out, and then you have these those that did all things with grumbling and complaining. We don't want you to rule over us. And so when he returned, having received the kingdom, a little foreshadowing, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. 
The first came to him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas. He said to him, well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful with very little, you will have authority over ten cities. The second came to him saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. He said to him, and you shall be over five cities. And then another came saying, Lord, uh, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you. Because you are a severe man, you take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put money in the bank at my coming that I might have collected it with interest? With interest. And so what he says to him, and when you read the parables, the wrong way to read them is to find some sort of spiritual connection in every single little detail. Obviously, the master who goes away and who's returning with the kingdom is Jesus. And that these men, some had false notions of who he was. But the idea of the parable is this. Two of them did exactly what he called them to do. They were faithful with very little, and he rewarded them. One was passive. He wasn't a worker or a soldier or a minister or messenger. He was a passenger. I'm just going to hide this mina because I have some false misconceptions here. And when the master returned, he said, well, you're condemned with your own words. You, you should have at least put it in the bank where it would have earned interest. So back to Philippians 2. Here's a man who wasn't stewarding minas. He was carrying money. For the glory of God. Three servants given the same task. Two of them did well. And so my question to us, in the daily grind, in the majesty of the mundane, are we engaged in business for God? Are we taking risks for the Lord? He risked his life. Not a chaotic risk. It was calculated. He knew where he needed to go. But he gave his, he was willing to give his life, much like his master Jesus in two paragraphs before, for the sake of Paul and the Philippians. And so you have Timothy, who had concern for others, who was like-minded. You have Epaphroditus, who also had a proven worth, who was a longing soul, wanting, wanting people to know everything's A-OK. He wanted to see the glory of God worked out in the mundane things of life. Do we do that? Do we do that? Because yesterday I had to ask for forgiveness, uh, not only to my daughter, to my wife, and, and to ask God for forgiveness because I did not plunge the toilet to the glory of God. And, and you laugh because you've been there too and you didn't do it as well. But I didn't do it to the glory of God. Frustrated. Last week, I preached on do all things without grumbling and complaining. Forgot that verse for about one hour. I'm just letting you know. We are to emulate people when what they do is worthy. We are not to just be like them in everything. And I'm just letting you know. I did not do the mundane things of life to the glory of God. And it, and it troubled me. Because I just read an article about how God gives us situations to test our hearts. And then He gives me a situation to test my heart. And it reveals how stinky it was. 
Pun intended. Wasn't that funny? Here's the point. Do we, are we more like Epaphroditus? Or are we more like Judd when he's plunging the toilet? To do the mundane things. It would be, the very similar thing is, these chairs didn't just appear. Somebody got here early, set them up. Uh, videos don't get just thrown on the screen out of midair. I don't just, okay, it's church today. There are, there are people behind what goes on here, and they're being, they, they, these are your Epaphrodites. Epaphrodite? I don't know. But the point is, they're doing the mundane things for the glory of God. They recognize church doesn't just happen. So thank you to those of you who have signed up, not only today, but throughout the, the months that we've been here, who come early and make sure when others show up, this place is ready to go. So are you a Timothy, like-minded in the Gospel? Are you an Epaphroditus, a longing soul who, who does the, the, the little things with greatness, like Chisholm? who didn't write a hymn because of something tragic that happened in his life. Here he is just going along in life, pretty ordinary, reading his Bible, and he, and he backs up and he goes, Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, your mercies I see. Do I do that in my normal, everyday thoughts in quiet times when I'm reading, or do I wait for some spectacular thing to happen? And in America, we wait for spectacular. We long for spectacular. Not Epaphroditus. He, he just said, I'm going to glorify God in whatever comes my way. And now we back up and we look at Paul. I mean, you can't forget Paul. Here's a humble servant. He's an apostle. And not once has he mentioned his authority in this book because he wants to mutually encourage them in their faith. Look what he says in verse 24. And I trust in the Lord. Sometimes you just need to slow down and see... The simple phrase, and I trust in the Lord. For here, that shortly I myself will come. But I trust in the Lord. As a humble servant, he was a trusting servant. He trusted God in his personal situation. We've got to remember where he is. He's not. Um, like I met a guy today who was on a honeymoon, literally. You know honeymoon means sweet month? He's literally for a month in Fiji. I'm like, wow. So he's not in Fiji. This is in Paul. Man, I'm just you know, I'm thinking of the Philippians. Just got to, he's in jail. I trust in the Lord. Ladies, those of you who read Calm My Anxious Heart, remember this phrase by Andrew Murray. I'm here by God's appointment, in His keeping, under His training, for His time. Wow. That'll help me when those situations... I'm here by God's appointment. He's, he's sovereign over this situation. And in His keeping, He's sustaining me through this. Under His training, He's teaching me through this and for His time until He's good and ready to be done with me. So Paul not only trusted in his situation, but he trusted God in his Christ-like submission. He calls himself in one one a servant. And Jesus there too in 2.7, he sees, is a servant. So if his master is a servant, Paul says, I'm a servant. And he trusted God in his other's centered sacrifice. 
Paul by this time had written Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. I got six. That's enough. He just kept going. He wanted everybody that he had been, that God had sovereignly placed them in his circle of influence to know Jesus and the gospel and grace. That he wanted everybody to know that God exists. We are sinners. Jesus is our Savior and we must trust in him and respond to him and not only make him the Savior of our life, the Lord of our life. So he had others-centered sacrifice. And this led him to, look at the words he uses. Let's just big picture here. I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, 19.24. And I am eager so that I may rejoice and be cheered and that you may rejoice and be cheered. Do we, are, we like more, are we like Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul? I want to be like that. And you notice not only is a trusting servant, he, he, he's in relationships. He calls Timothy his, his son. He calls Epaphroditus his brother. And men, we need sons and we need brothers. We need men around us. Brother. And ladies, you need, you need uh, sisters around you. Epaphroditus, my brother. First thing out of his mouth. I want to send a Epaphroditus to you, my brother. So if we're looking at it, Paul and Timothy, there's always going to be father-to-son relationship there. And then Paul and Epaphroditus, there's a brother relationship there. You need that. You need to be pouring into some someone. You need someone around you to keep you accountable. And Lord willing, uh, you need to be the son receiving from somebody else. We need people like this in our lives as holy emulation, not hero worship. That's where America has gone, hero worship. In fact, just preparing for this sermon this week, there's an article out called Hero Worship versus Holy Emulation, June 10th. And it says this, Hero worship means admiring someone for unholy reasons and seeing all that he does as admirable, whether it's sin or not. Many of our young Athletes aspire to be such and such regardless of their lifestyle because they think if I can be like him, then I can live like him and have all the luxuries that come with him. To which this author says, no, holy emulation, on the other hand, sees the evidences of God's grace and admires them them for Christ's sake and wants to learn from them and grow in them. And he quotes, an old Puritan, he's, and this Puritan Thomas Brooks says, he is the best and wisest Christian that imitates those Christians that are of the most eminent in grace. It is noble to live by the examples of the most eminent saints. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here. Philippians, I've called you to some high things. I want you to be citizens worthy, immovable, not intimidated, interdependent. I want you to be humble. I want you to be obedient. I want you to work out your salvation. Work out your own salvation. You, you, can't, you can't ride on the coattails of R.C. Sproul. You, you can't, or, or 
Paul Washer. You can't. It's not Washer's theology that's going to make it in your life. Um, you know, heard it from from me before. John Piper has been a major influence, and I'm going to go through a list of here in just a second. But I can't live off John Piper's passion for God. So I emulate, and we're going to end with a verse. I'm going to emulate the things that are gracious about him, pointing to Jesus and learn from him. And so at the bottom of your bulletin, you should have this verse. Notice what it says. It says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Think about these people, men, women, etc. And don't try to be just like them. But imitate their faith. And it's a great thing that that we imitate those who are worthy of imitation, that show genuine concern for others and their proven worth. Think about Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus in this context. Think about Samuel as what introduced this worship service. Think about Jesus and David in his best times and Nathan and Joseph. Think about a good pastor from long ago who's not written any books or who isn't famous but was just faithful. Think about that faithful parent who brought you up in the ways of the Lord who was who was talking about what would Jesus do but long before there was a bracelet. Think about those around you who exude the joy of the Gospel. This week we got to have dinner with a sweet couple that was actually, James Skinner was the head of the ministry that I led before Mitch Mayer and then myself. And just to meet with James and Kelly and Aubrey, it was just like you, you walk away infused. Yeah, let's, let's do this. Just spend an hour with them in Silverthorne because they're here uh, resting. So on the way home from picking up my mother, you just, you're around them. You're like, yeah, I want to emulate. He just He exudes love and joy. I want to be like that. You've probably heard of a guy named John MacArthur. It's who I was basically brought up on in the faith. I would just put a MacArthur tape in. every, As much as I could, just listen to it. Driving home from seminary, to, wow, this guy, I'm learning the Bible from listening to him. And then there's a guy named Tom Nelson, who I just went and sat under, and I had knew nothing of the Scriptures, and he said, watch this. And just by his life, we got up at 6 in the morning, Four days a week, one of those days it was 5.30, and we would just go through the Scriptures. And I, if you've been around me, some of you see that I write with a credit card. It's because I emulated the way he took notes in his Bible. After him, I was introduced to this guy named John Piper. Who's John Piper? And when I first heard him, I was just like, nah, I don't, I don't. But the more I listened to him, I fell in love with God because of John Piper. And to hear him, you think, man, he's probably 6'5". And I finally got to meet him. He's about down here. And when he's behind the pulpit, he roars. And then you meet him and he's, how are you doing? I was like, wow. I want to emulate that faith. Mark Dever, Al Mohler, C.J. Mahaney. C.J. Mahaney. He just oozes humility. 
Mark Driscoll, uh, Kevin DeYoung is another young guy. Craig Smith got to hang around Craig and Lene and their family. Love what they're doing. Just want to emulate. He just has a certain way of articulating things. There's a guy, you've never heard of Mitch Mayer. It's his birthday today. But he walked with me. and he, We used to jog together. And he would just tell me about how to walk with Jesus. Not so much um, the, the practical things, but just here's how you live your life. Here are the manners and things like that. Then he showed me how to do ministry. And so James taught Mitch, who taught me. And then there's a guy named Curtis Rippey. You've probably never heard of him before. Just when I was fresh off the turnip truck and following Jesus, he said, hey, let's meet. Just spoke truth into my life. Richard Johnson, another one. Oh, if I could end my life as gracious and humble and just with the, I, I, just his voice is soothing. Hey, Judd, how you doing? You abiding in Christ? It's, always, it's the only thing he asked me. You abiding? How you abiding? He just... He's the, he emulate, he just oozes John 15. I want to emulate that. So it's not hero worship. I don't want to be like this guy. I want to emulate their faith. I want to consider the outcome of their faith or their life and imitate their faith. I want to see the evidences of grace. One guy taught me the Bible's got a lot of information in it. You can learn it. The other guy taught me here's how you study it. It's not a secret. It's not a mystery. It's not, okay, we're in Psalm 19 today. Okay, we're in Jeremiah 10 today. Every morning. I can't even, I'll just butcher how he talks. All right, boys. This first day of the program, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1. In the beginning. So we're just starting at the beginning. Yeah, we're just going to go. In the beginning. You know what that, that just shows you, and just went, I walk away from there going, that's just Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 4. <laughs> and then it was Exodus. And then I was like, okay, I tried reading it. Give me to Leviticus. And he shows me the sacrifices and the sacrificial system and what it points to. And I go, whoa. <laughs> Numbers? Yeah. It's good. Numbers 24, men. Numbers 23, this is... We're talking about Balaam and the donkey. Just co- notes, notes, notes. Guy showed me the God-centeredness of God. God is completely sovereign. Wow, that helps me. That helps me. And then another guy. You just got to be able to pray, brother. Love people. And another guy. Don't get so bent out of shape. Don't take things. Remember one elder sitting me down. He goes, don't take things personally. Nobody had ever said it. Well, they probably said it that, but the way he said it that day just forever will stick with me. He said, just don't think things personally. I was like, That's pretty revolutionary. These men, I can name, they're more than who I've named. They've just been in my life and they've poured into me. And I feel the obligation to go pour it out to other men. So think about those, consider the outcome of their way of life, and then what do you do? You imitate their faith. You, you have a holy emulation, and then you do what they do. You engage in business with God. For God. With God and for God. Engage in God's business. We are not here on this earth to primarily fulfill 
every want and desire of our own life. Desires are good things. But when a desire becomes a ruling desire, it is sin. And so our major desire in life is how can I serve others? How can I have a mindset like Timothy, a, a, a passion like Epaphroditus, a humility like Paul, and then go do it? And, and here's the, here's, it's not, whoever set up these chairs this morning, they served Jesus. It is not just being a, behind a pulpit or teaching a Sunday school class. These bulletins don't just happen. Praise God for Becky Talbot, who's faithful every week and puts them together. And our children's ministry, with all that's going on, that hallway, it doesn't just happen. So praise God. I can't even name them all, but just for Krista and Mel and it's like the Thanksgiving that was in the bulletin, for those who are serving our children and teaching them the truth. Sometimes we get in America thinking, man, the guy that really preaches, he's the one who's close to God. <laughs> Not if you were at my house yesterday. Uh, he had to repent. Well, well, the guys that write books, they really have a connection to Jesus. No, they do, but they're just ordinary people. We're all just ordinary people. It's a guy that will never write any book on coaching who coaches to the glory of God, whose main purpose in coaching is character. Right? It's the guy who, who works his land, not for, for his glory or just out of an ought to, but it's, it's the guy who works his land that shows when he interacts with other men in that industry who don't know Jesus, there's a grace and there's a peace. And these other men, these hard men just go, there's something different about that cat. It's the woman who, where, where she, whether she works in the home or not, who sees that she is a nurturer and, and, and rejoices in that design. It's the day-to-day things. It's making breakfast. It's going through the Bible. It's then teaching your kids to ride a bike. It's, it's driving to and from work with a mindset, I'm going to serve you today, Colossians 3.23. It is the Lord God whom I serve. And I'm, I know I'm going to do this faithfully because there's an inheritance coming. There's a hope, the light at the end of the tunnel. And so it's not these spectacular, it's the simple. Find people like that. Don't copy them. We don't need copycat Christians. We don't need to all be wearing, you know, Eddie Bauer with boots and jeans. But you emulate their faith, their discipline, their whatever it is. The simple things of life, that's where we need to excel. Because if we, if we wait to that one day when, oh, when that day comes, then I'll do it. You'll never excel at what God's calling you to excel at. Simple, simple things. The majesty of the mundane. Timothy did it. Epaphroditus did it. Paul did it. We can do it. Father, we stop now and recognize that we can do this. You've called us to do this. But we need your sustaining grace. We need you to enable us to do this. Lord, it, we've 
proved and I've proved that trying to fix things on my own in the wrong spirit is literally gross in my soul. So help me to be one worthy of emulating. First and foremost to three people that you've given me to train up in the ways of the Lord. Lord, help the leaders of this church to be worthy of emulation. Help the people of this church, wherever their circles of influence are, be it in a playgroup or in a women's Bible study or in the marketplace or out building and constructing whatever it is, Lord, whether we play softball, whatever we're doing, help us, enable us to do it for your glory so that we might be examples worth following so that people might want to say why are you acting that way and what do you believe and we can share with them the good news of your son it's in his name i pray amen